Alright, um, so last week we, we, were, we were talking about the dedication of the Kirtland Temple. That they had this season of endowment of power and it starts we think around January 21st when the washing and anointing start, the brethren are being cleansed, uh, the revelation of uh, on the celestial kingdom is given to Joseph in, on, on January 21st. From about January 21st uh, finishing up the Hebrew school, they're getting ready for the dedication of the Kirtland Temple on March 27th. They're just, it's just this season of joy and repentance and and closeness and Zion and it just goes on and on and on until it reaches kind of a uh, fever pitch around March 27th they dedicate the temple uh, within the next couple of days they uh, they continue in washing and anointings and cleansings and then the the rushing of mighty wind comes uh, by April 3rd uh, Joseph is pretty sure that they're done except that he goes behind the veil and here comes the Savior and the restoration of keys and you just got this building crescendo um, that is going on in Kirtland okay now Nick alongside that though we have Nephite itis creeping in that there was in Kirtland remember everybody that had come to Kirtland uh, was had given up land and sold their property and they all came and they're either poor in Kirtland or they're poor in Missouri or then they've lost everything in Missouri and now they're hanging around in Clay County in Missouri and they're poor there everybody's poor now, in the process of building all of this thing, now suddenly prosperity starts to creep in. They start doing better and, and their crops start turning around and they start having money and they start buying and selling and people are coming and people are starting to get rich and life is getting to be really good. We're, we're spiritual, we're prosperous. What more could happen after that? <laughs> What generally happens, what's the message of the Book of Mormon when you get big, fat, spiritual, proud, and prosperous? Hi. Hi. Yeah, there's a, there's a slide coming. And this is no different. Um, Brigham Young said, uh, this, the saints can handle anything except prosperity. <laughs> Throwing mobs, uh, killings, uh, uh, all, all those kind of things. What, this, what these people can't handle is prosperity. And he was thinking specifically about this stretch, 1837-1838 uh, in Kirtland. Okay? Now, I, I do find it interesting that um, there, is, there is a bit of a precedent in the scriptures on this. Okay? Moses 1. And now mine own eyes beheld God, but not my natural. His glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, and I was transfigured before him. Moses is having this great vision. And then what happens? He comes off the mountain. And it came to pass that when Moses had said these words, Behold, Satan came, tempting him, saying, Moses, son of man, worship me. 
how often does the what we always talk about before family home evening or before going to the temple or something like that watch out or before going on a mission the 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 adversity is going to show up and we have to be ready for the adversity before the mountain how often does the adversity and the pressure come after the vision closes mm -hmm. all the time now uh, let me give you another one here third Nephi and it came to pass the uh, way the 95th year the people began to forget the signs and wonders they had heard after the day the night and the day right and begin to be less and less astonished at a sign or wonder from heaven insomuch that they begin to be hard in their hearts, blind in their minds, and begin to believe all which disbelieved what they had seen and heard. Why is that so hard? Is that, in some ways, is that a, is that a, a little bit tougher even than having the adversity before? <clears throat> Why might it be harder when the vision closes and the adversity comes? Why might that be a particular struggle? Well, after receiving like really strong answers, doubt kind of creeps in. Like, was that really sure for me? Was that am I really worthy to receive such an amazing answer? Or how am I going to do this? Yeah, one of it is, and, and you know who you are, it's the chronic overthinkers <laughs> in here. You're going you're gonna to second guess and overanalyze everything. Okay, okay, Calvin? I was just going to say, after being on such a spiritual high, you kind of feel like you can stay there forever because it's so great. And then the, then the fall just seems so much worse because of the conflict. Well, sure. Yeah, again, I've, I've, I've quoted uh, C.S. Lewis before who says, the problem is that we believe we can do always what we can do sometimes. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think that it's easy to think that you're successful because of your own doing, and you become pride, prideful, and, uh, oh. and, then, and you think that I'm smarter than you ever said. I got the so we walk down the mountain having had this vision and, and we believe that we created it. <laughs> that, it that it's about us. I, I'm pretty great now. Yeah. And life should now go better in front of me because I'm so great. Man, I can't believe how great I am. Yeah. Sometimes you have a really great experience at church or at the temple and then you're growling at traffic on the way home. Yeah. You just feel guilty that I am such a... Well, if you get an if you've been praying for an answer and the answer comes, isn't there a built-in assumption that says now life goes better? I'm going to follow. God has told me what to do. I'm going to follow His path, and now as I walk that path, it, life is going to be great because I'm walking His path. It shouldn't be a problem, right? Yeah. I think it also just happens a little bit of time. It's just kind of subtle. You know? Yeah, it's just going to steer us just incrementally. Uh, and we may not notice it because we're still basking in the glow of our own light. We're reading by the lamp of our own conceit, uh, to quote Neil Maxwell. Yeah. Well, and those kinds of experiences, especially for those who aren't as far along the path, are draining the physical body and it can wear you down in a way. And it can be hard to maintain that level of attention. 
Yeah, and the minute and the minute we begin to slide off, we can't stay on the high forever. We have to. We're still in mortal. We're still in mortality, right? We have a great experience in the temple, and you still have to climb in the car and drive home. Uh, or you have a great. You, you, you're um, you're walking out of uh, general conference and thinking, man, this feels so good. And then you got to deal with life. You know, I, I, I've mentioned before how the uh, one of the one of the great uh, sacrament meetings I've ever had was a group that we had on a cruise ship, and and we have this wonderful testimony meeting on board the ship, and we're just this is cool, and we're and we're in a great place and everything, and we um, <clears throat> closing song, closing prayer, open the door right out onto the main deck. <laughs> And I think I think it was like the uh, like the men's uh, wet shirt contest, something you know, like all these guys out there, <laughs> the, and they're doing burgers, and everybody's drinking, and these guys are strutting around, and we're like, oh man, we got to go back to this, you know, and and the start within ten feet of opening that door and seeing things you don't want to see again, and and hearing the music and everybody drinking was just so. It just, the bottom just drops out on you. Okay, yeah. So I see kind of a parallel between this, what we're talking about, and we were in heaven with Heavenly Father and hearing about his plan, and we're so excited. We were bathed in the Spirit all the time. Yeah. That's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Uh, uh, again, uh, as, as Truman Madsen has said, um, uh, the Lord's uh, our mortal amnesia is the Lord's anesthesia. Our mortal amnesia is the Lord's anesthesia. In other words, if we had any idea what we had fallen from, uh, as you're then climbing out the birth canal, you'd go, okay, I want to go back in. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, what have I I've given up too much? Okay, and so you kind of get this sense of that. So that was no more uh, powerfully uh, apparent than it was in Kirtland. Uh, they're coming off of this this season of endowment and power and spirit and 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 all that, and then the realities hit. Um, we think, for instance, that. Uh, when when the Kirtland Temple was dedicated, that they had they had borrowed from debtors in New York to pay for the temple, and we think that the the temple was somewhere between about thirteen thousand to twenty thousand in debt, uh, and and they had borrowed that uh, a couple of years earlier, and the debtors. Those holding those notes in New York were making noises like we need you to be paying this off. And, and for Joseph, who was never really good at business, uh, this, was, this was a real concern. Uh, and, and he's going to make a couple of decisions here that are not the greatest decisions Joseph could have made. Uh, and so let's, let, but I want to pop over for just a second to... Um, we get a we get a uh, harbinger of this. If we go to section 104. 
I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, this is actually given two years before, uh, but it certainly applies. It applied in 1834 when it was given, but now in 1836. There are, there are two pieces to the, at the end of this revelation that are incredibly important. So this is, this is section 104. Um, 78. Uh, now I will say unto you concerning your debts, it's my will that you should pay all your debts. Ah, that's good. 80. Inasmuch as you are diligent and humble and exercise the prayer of faith. Okay, stop. Let's go back. Diligent, humble, exercise the prayer of faith. Behold, I will soften the hearts to those to whom you are in debt until I shall send means unto you for your deliverance. Therefore, write speedily to New York and write according to that which will be dictated by my spirit and I will soften the hearts of those to whom you are in debt and it shall be taken out of their minds to bring affliction upon you. Insomuch as you are humble and faithful and call upon my name, I will give you the victory. Wow. So, in biblical terms, the Lord is saying, I, the Lord, will fight your battles. Let me handle it. I will get it done. Now, Tell me what happens in our own lives when we have promises at General Conference, we're listening to the Spirit, and the Spirit says, it will be okay, and then the debtors are calling. What happens when you get direction in your life and the Spirit says, things will be okay, and then the rubber hits the road? You will be okay, and then the doctor gives you a diagnosis. What happens? We kind of panic. We react. And suddenly all of those promises, you know, those nice spiritual moments kind of get shelved, right? don't they? When we're face to face with the reality of something that is... You're going to do wonderful on your talk. I will open your mouth and you will stand up in front of the people and words will pour out and it will be wonderful. And then what happens when you actually stand at the pulpit? <laughs> and your tongue cleaves to the roof of your mouth and your knees are shaking and bang banging against the pulpit. Your mind goes blank. And your mind goes... Blank. <laughs> The cortisol is pouring into your body, which is causing the blood to leave the frontal lobes of your brain, to the back, back part of the lobe. There, therefore, there's very little blood in the frontal lobe, which means that then your brain goes... <laughs> and we panic. Okay? So, Joseph has this promise in 1834. I will soften the hearts of those to whom you are in debt, and it should be taken out of your minds to bring affliction upon you. Awesome. Okay. What does Joseph do when the debtors come calling in, in uh, like May of 1836? He does a very human thing. 
he panics. He worries. How are we going to do this? Because for Joseph, he says, not only have I, am I, am I, uh, have I got the temple, that's about 20000 in debt. I still have all the saints scattered all over Clay County in Missouri. We've got to get them settled. <coughs> Mobbings, uh, the, the kind feelings of Clay County is starting to dissipate. They want to create a new county in Missouri called Caldwell County. Uh, the, the seat of that will be a little town, a little spot called Far West. And we got to move everybody from Clay County and move them up into Caldwell County uh, to get away from the bad feelings now being generated by those in Clay County. So I got to move them. That's going to cost. Uh, and he basically been giving been giving away the supplies at the new at the new Whitney home a store because people were still coming in. Yeah. Here was his other problem. He tried to start a store. And he will he will borrow about eighty thousand to stock to stock the store, and then he becomes fearful that if someone needs supplies and they're going to come into the temple or into the store and they need something and he turns them down or refuses their credit, they're going to blame him as the prophet. So he's just giving the stuff away. So now by July he's like a hundred thousand in debt. What does Joseph do? He panics. Well, the bank will be the second of the two follies. Um, he's going to go... I'm going to see if I can... This will, No, you're going to do that to me. Okay. No, I don't want to go there. I want to go to... Nope, don't want to go there. I want to go to here's what's going to happen uh, one of the brethren says uh, we, we baptized a guy in the northeast um, for the Burgess and Brother Burgess says that there is a house that he knows of in Salem, Massachusetts, where there is gold buried in the basement. Um, and that it's long been, uh, the uh, people have long since forgot about it. In those days, uh, gold and silver buried in the ground belonged to whoever discovered it. Okay, he says it's in Salem, and he knows what house it's in. And if we will meet him in Salem, Massachusetts, um, we can actually rent out the house, get the gold and silver out of the basement, and it will be ours. And what do you think Joseph's response is to that? And he's in a sense of panic. Let's grab the first presidency and head to Salem. And that's what they did. So in July, um, they, they leave Kirtland and they head up to Salem, Massachusetts. Um, and they meet Brother Burgess in Salem. And Brother Burgess says, I, 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 I'm not sure which house it is. 
I can't figure out which house it is. Uh, I've been thinking about it and dang, you know, sorry. And then he kind of melts away. <laughs> so now you got the first presidency hanging out in Salem, Massachusetts, and they rent a house, and then and Joseph will write a letter to Emma uh, in September. He says, "I think we found the house. We're going to try and rent it." Um, they do. There's nothing there. Okay. Um, so now they've got a problem and so now finally Joseph then breaks down and again gets a revelation from the Lord okay that's and that's contained in section 111 and I love this I do verse 1 <laughs> I the Lord your God am not displeased with your coming on this journey, notwithstanding your follies. <laughs> Is that great? Okay, I'm not completely displeased that you're here, but guys, this was a pretty big stupid. <laughs> this was a folly. Why would the Lord not be displeased with something like this? It was a learning, and why? Why? Because he, apparently Joseph didn't seek proper revelation to go there in the first place. He didn't. We don't have anything that says go there. That'd be a great, good idea. He went there in a panic, uh, in a materialistic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What was his purpose in going to Salem? Get money. For what? To pay off the debts. Okay, so it isn't like Joseph was going there to get rich. Mm -hmm. He was going there to pay off the debts. So where was the intention of his heart? It was righteous. Okay, now how many times might we, in the intentions of our heart, have the right intention but do a stupid? All the time. Uh, what might be some examples, by the way, of well-intentioned stupids? Well-intentioned follies. <laughs> yeah, open up on this folly thing. Let's, tell, let's get out your bad stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking about for other, a neighbor. <laughs> Somebody you knew once in another ward. <laughs> What would be an example of, with the best of intention, the things we do are folly? Well, I think about the, wasn't there the uh, group of immigrants coming to Utah that was killed by, uh, by LDS people? <coughs> oh, oh. Oh, you want Mountain Meadows. Boy, that's a mix. You know what? That's a mix. Because, yes, there was a big chunk of that the, for the best of intentions and panicking. We'll talk about Mountain Meadows as a, as, a, as a separate class. But you're right. There was a chunk of that that was folly that became tragedy. Uh, in the worst sort of way, tragedy. Okay? Yeah. Um, you scratch your head. I'm going to call on you. <laughs> Independent state for three years in the early 1990s. And I think I mentioned this once before. And every now and then, somebody would stand up at a testimony meeting and say, "Feel like we're supposed to 
Move here oh yeah, yes, yes. The Lord has directed us to move to independence yes. because because it's time. Yes, <laughs> and we brought our food supply with us. And how close can we get to Matt, Adam, and Diamond so that at least we have property near the meeting? Yes, that, that would be an example. Here we go again. I don't think independence is a real booming economy, is it? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm thinking just daily things that we do, and one of them is in parenting. Oh. Try to do the very yes. best you can, and then you look back later and say, "Oh." I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I think that's a, I think that's a perfect. Don't we do these follies every day as parents, and then beat ourselves up for? Um, uh, it, it's always interesting how often I am seeing an adult person in my practice, and then I'm going to get an email or a call from a mother saying, "I need to come in and tell my story. <laughs> I need to defend myself because obviously they're in your office because I screwed up my kid, and I need to defend myself or at least explain so you don't think I'm a total idiot." <laughs> you know, and, and I, no, I'm not really interested in that. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah. Well, maybe even well-intentioned primary leaders or teachers, or Yep. How many times, just as church leaders, in well-intentioned trying to say something, give counsel on something, make a suggestion, plan an, plan a, uh, an activity, we just and, and say dumb things or do dumb things, and based on our intention, and we want to do the right thing for people, but then we say and do things that maybe are hurtful and maybe are, are painful. Um, I, I've, me I've mentioned before that I had a, uh, um, a black member of the church that uh, joined the church and then the, he decided to go visit BYU. And he's walking around the campus at BYU and one of the first guys he runs into at BYU says, walks up, shakes his hand, says, it's alright brother, one day you'll be white. <laughs> and you know, and I'm sure, and he's like, ah, and, and as he's kind of walking back down the sidewalk, I think this brother's going, boy, I made his day. His, I feel so good about myself. Okay. <laughs> you know, and my, and my friend was just in a state of shock. Like, what the heck, was, what just happened? But I think, you know, that's a folly. That's a stupid. <laughs> but it was very painful, and it hurt somebody deeply. Yeah. Well, not that it's getting close to Christmas, but how many people have great expectations for Christmas and then buyer's remorse about January? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's talking about his Christmas, the things that we will do out of the best of intention till the credit card bill comes in January. Yeah, I, th I was thinking about that with Joseph. The debt was coming due, and now he's trying to figure out how to pay for it. Okay? So, yeah. It's like uh, Sister Moon said about you know, the primary cardinals or whatever. Sometimes, I know there was a sister that excellent, excellent uh, primary teacher, she was moving away. So she purchased uh, gifts for all of her class. And 
here come the kids from her class with these bags of gifts into sharing time. And <laughs> kids, you know, are like, wait a minute, I, my teacher didn't get us. It, so it's, you know, she wasn't trying to... Best of intentions. Best of intentions. Yeah. But we, we don't think about now watch what, watch what the Lord does with this, though. And again, I think, I think it's fascinating that he says, so I'm not displeased because I know your heart. But guys, this was really dumb. And, not only, and part of what made it dumb was not just the fact that, really, you did this, but also I told you two years earlier, I would soften their hearts. I would take care of it. Let me fight your battles. Let me do it. And we have a hard time letting the Lord do it. Well, they, this is one of those times that they didn't let him fight the battle. Now, he reminds them again. Five, let me remind you. Concern not yourself about your debts, for I will give you the power to pay them. Now, now, but look at what he said. Now, concern not yourself about Zion. I will deal mercifully with her. I've got some things in place here. Uh... Terry, but listen to what he does. Terry in this place. You've arrived here. You're here. You made some decisions. Now Terry in this place. And in the regions about and the place where it is my will that you should tarry for the main will be signaled unto you by the peace and power of my spirit which shall flow unto you. Now we could do a whole lesson on getting answers to prayers from that verse alone. If you've got to give a talk in sacrament meeting, that is a great verse. The place where it is my will that you should tarry for the main shall be signalized unto you uh, by the peace and power of my spirit which shall flow unto you. I think that's amazing. Okay? Alright. So here's how the Lord, uh, here's what he dealt, how, here's how he dealt with them. Um, we know from, look at verse, look at verse 9. The place, this place you may obtain by hire, if you want to have a place to stay. Inquire diligently concerning the more ancient inhabitants and founders of this city, for there are more treasures than one for you in this city. Now, one of the things that we know from a letter that Joseph wrote to Emma in September was that he, give the, he gave her a rundown on what they were doing in Salem and particularly in Boston. Um, how many, uh, I, know, I know Craig has, we were there together. How many of you have been to uh, Boston and particularly to the Bunker Hill uh, Monument? With a big obelisk, okay. Um, Joseph went there. He goes up to the Bunker Hill monument that is almost done. It's about it's about three quarters of the way done. It's not completed yet. On top of Bunker Hill, uh, but from Bunker Hill they can actually turn and see some blackened ruins just a little farther down the hill. Uh, literally a stone's throw, and I, and I say that word exactly. It's a stone's throw away from Bunker Hill. Uh, on top of that, near the, near the top, was the old uh, Charleston Catholic Convent. In 1834, in the Charleston Catholic Convent, you had a group of Catholics living in very Puritan Boston. 
and that they weren't received very well because they were Catholic and that meant that they were popists. And popists are those that believed in an ultimate authority in a, in a leader that might tell them what to do. Now, remember, this is Boston we're talking about. The home of the Tea Party. Okay? And what other popists might the people in Boston and New England remember? The, that's right. The king. Okay? They had just thrown off another popist. Uh, the head of a church who was going to have ultimately control over everything and he would tell them what to do. In fact, he could get into their livelihood. He could get into their temporal affairs. That's what the popes could do. And, and so you never knew exactly how they were going to be controlled. Why? Because we are Americans. And we stand on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's about freedom. It's about we've thrown off the yoke of popists. We now are free people. And we don't like to be surrounded by loyalists from the Church of England. Those guys had to move to Halifax. And popists in our midst, the Catholics. So there was already this rub against this Catholic convent. All they needed was to have one of the nuns of that place come out and intimate that maybe people were being held against their will inside the convent. And they sent detectives in to try and figure that out. They determined that they weren't being held against their will. But it didn't matter because by then the word had gotten out to the populace. And so in 1834, uh, they march up the hill, a bunker hill, uh, tell the nuns that they have to leave, and they burn the convent to the ground. Um, Joseph, as he kind of goes up to Bunker Hill and looks over and sees this thing, and then he goes over and he gets the story of what happened to the convent, is horrified that somebody would abuse the religion of another for false reasons and then, and then destroy them and drive them out. Because they did. They, they then went to Halifax, where all, you know, and so drove them out of town. Joseph was horrified by that. Why? come a little too close to home it was a little not only was it just in general because he's, he's talking about in the land of liberty that they're not going to allow these people their expression of religion that they would treat them this way but I think it's coming a little bit close to home and it will happen to him a couple more times just in the next two years but that's the story of the Charleston Catholic convent will be in his head uh, and I think it's in it. So for him, the contrast of standing at Bunker Hill where they're fighting off the British coming up there and then looking over and seeing this place where they took that liberty and abused the liberty of somebody else was shocking to him. And that's, that's one of those lessons that he takes back to Kirtland that's heavy in his mind. Of the letter that he sends back to Emma, this concerns the majority of the letter. I can't believe they did this to these people in Charleston. Okay. Uh, now, comments on that. Does, does that? So, what was the Lord trying to teach him? Do you think? What was the lesson? Don't count on 
being protected in all circumstances. Unfortunately, that would be one of the lessons, that even though this is the land of freedom and we're standing in the heart of the freedom, because I think they also went up to Lexington and Concord. I think they toured all of those kind of places. Uh, and But this is the land of liberty, but a religious minority could be driven out by kind of mob rule. So I think that was very much on his mind. Uh, he also learned that those groups should maintain a low profile too. They shouldn't be out there struggling stuff, so to speak. Eleven. Be wise as serpents and yet without out sin. In other words, be careful. Yes. Now, by the way, this did flip around. The lesson got taught. Um, true story in, in the, the territory of Utah those of you who maybe grew up in Utah, got a little Utah history, where was the first Catholic Mass celebrated? In the tabernacle. In the St. George Tabernacle, and the Mass was sung by? Tabernacle, tabernacle Choir. Yes. So, in other words, we will take care of the minorities in our midst. And we will treat them as we would want to be treated. So those lessons were carried forward, I think, to Utah. I think this was a lesson. Yeah. What I find interesting is that all of this country was founded from people trying to flee religious persecution. That was his point. That was Joseph's point. And then they turn around and do the same thing. That was exactly Joseph's point. In fact, he says that in the letter. <laughs> this this nation was. This nation was founded by those that, had, that were fleeing religious persecution. So they came here and then abused the religion of somebody else. That drove him crazy. <laughs> and should. Okay. So then they come back with uh, kind of their tail between their legs. Um, and... Take, the, take those lessons, roll them forward. So now if we're not going to get gold and silver out of, out of the basement in Salem, let's come up with a better decision. If we need to be able to get out of debt, what should we do? Start a bank. Start a bank. What, what harm could there be in starting a bank? <laughs> Um, now, I think, I, I happen to believe, I'm going to go back to section 104 here for a sec. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was. There was much gold in there, and they will, uh, uh, Lorenzo Young, uh, or, I think it was Lorenzo Young. We'll go up there about five years later and he will organize a branch and he'll find about a hundred good people uh, in, in Boston, in, in the Salem area. Okay? That treasure was actually people. Okay? Now, 1834, back here. Uh, the Lord had given the second part of the promise, he told him in 1834. Inasmuch as you obtain a chance to loan money by the hundreds or thousands, even if you shall loan enough to deliver yourself from bondage. Now listen to the wording carefully here. It is your privilege. That's not a commandment. It's not a direction. It's your privilege. You can do this if you want. And pledge the properties which I have put into your hands. When? This once. 
by giving your names by common consent or otherwise it'll seem you good. I give unto you this privilege this once. He's going to repeat this. They didn't do so much of that in 1834. The Kirtland Safety Society will be founded on this principle in 1836 to try and get out of debt. Um, now, let me... Um, Uh, we'll come back here. So let me let me give you quickly the kind of the rough idea of of uh, the Kirtland Safety Society, the bank. Uh, we're going to form a bank. We form the principles under which we're going to do the bank uh, because we still have a problem. People are the missionaries are going out. They're baptizing people. They're bringing them back to Kirtland, and by and large, the people streaming into into Kirtland are very poor. They have the same thing in Missouri. They're now very poor. As we're moving them into Caldwell County, they've lost their property again. To move up to far west, they're poor. We have to find a way to finance all of this stuff. Let's do a bank. Okay, so we're going to do a bank. Uh, Andrew Jackson had eliminated the one of the central banks, so there were a lot of smaller banks that were all popping up all over the place. Um, and it, it was half like a bank and half like kind of almost like a, uh, a corporation owned by shares. So, so the ba their basic idea was this, and, and I don't want to make this too complicated, uh, but basically it's, it's this. Um, Arjean, let's say that you have, um, you want to buy some property. And, and the farmer wants to charge you $100 for the property. And what you've got is $5. The idea was, is that in order to buy the property, you would join the Kirtland Safety Society. And for $5, you would hand them $5, they would give you a $100 note. And Mike, tell me if I'm on board with all this, okay? Um, they, they would give him a $100 note, and you now have that $100 note. You would then go down the road, the farmer would say the, it's $100, and you would give them a $100 note backed by the Kirtland Safety Society to purchase that property. Now, part of the deal, though, is that you're going to be making regular payments, maybe $5 a month or whatever agreement you make, to, you're buying your stock in there, but it's a $100 note that should be currency that I can then go out and I can take it and I can purchase property other places. Okay, So they were printing all of these $100 notes. Now again, it was going to be a bank, but uh, when, when they go to the bank, when they go to the legislature to get the bank uh, signed off on, they and about a hundred other banks uh, are turned down. Ah, it can't be a bank. But by then, Oliver Cowdery's coming back from New York with, the, with the, uh, with the the stamp for the notes. Uh, let's see. Okay, thought I had this. Yes, I do. I've got one. So this is this is one of the first ones that they printed. But by the time they get these printed, the legislature says, no, you can't, it can't be a bank. So then they, they print up another little thing and they stamp the 
top of these things with anti-banking. This is not a bank. <laughs> so it now becomes the Kirtland Safety Society Anti-Bank -Anti Association. <laughs> it's not a bank. <laughs> but it is taken care of by the, the, everybody that is part, it's like a credit union. Everybody's going to be co-owners of this thing and, and we all owe notes to it. Okay? Okay? The accountant and you, is that okay? Sure. Okay. Good. So that should work and now people can go out and purchase properties and these notes can be out there and as we're receiving money in, uh, their, their reserves were about 20% of the total thing they had loaned out. Which if you go to, I don't know, Bank of America and you walk into it, they're going to have about 5% to back themselves up, but they've got the Federal Reserve behind them. There was no Federal Reserve sitting behind them. So in that bank, uh, think, think the old savings and loan, in, uh, and it's a wonderful life. <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know. Um, so we got these little money, we're, we're loaning it out, we got all these things, but, it, but it's different than everybody's going to own stock. It's more like a credit union, okay? So there's the deal. What could go wrong with this, with this bank? What? Where is the pitfalls? No one had any money. Number one, but they had. So what's the bank backed up by? Joseph owned about 100 acres of property, and so it was going to be backed up by the bank. Or by, by this property, so that's where the reserves are. If we have to, if we have somebody wants to take out a big withdrawal, we can sell one of those parcels and and pay the thing back. And then the economy crashed, and there was what they called a panic, which was of 1837. Yeah, hold on, we're not quite there yet. That's coming. That's in May of 1837. Okay, they're going to get hit by th about three blows on this. Number one. You have to remember, how was anti-Mormon sentiment doing in Kirtland these days? Starting to build, starting to build. There were some people that were really kind of uh, anti against the church and they were getting more louder and vociferous and talking all this down and now here comes the safety society and they are literally going around and they are telling, telling uh, people that own property, don't take those notes. Those are bad notes. It's going to fall. This is, this is just making Joseph rich. This is all about him. Don't take the notes. They're bad. Okay? Now, number two. There's a, a nearby bank in Ohio, the Bank of, of Erie, that they don't really like competition. So they start collecting the notes. People come in, sure, we'll, we'll redeem these notes. Bring the notes in. We got them. Thank you so much. So that we can then march our little selves down to the Kirtland Safety Society and say, redeem these things. And do it all at once. And start to form a, a run on the bank. So there's, there's a problem. Um, on top of that, uh, now we get to May of 1837 and banks are falling all over the place and we get the panic of 1837. Now think about a, it's a wonderful life. And, and remember the scene where they're all there's a run on the bank and they're all yelling and screaming stuff like that. That's what was happening in banks all over the place in May of 1837. And hundreds of banks failed. Uh, as did the Kirtland Safety Society by the end of the summer of 1837. Okay? Now, so that's bad. There's another bad against this one. 
Joseph and Sidney resign when it looks like it's getting to be too bad. They say, uh, we don't like the, some of the deception and fraud going on with this thing. And they publicly declare, we are resigning from the bank. The bank is taken over by Frederick Williams as the president and Warren Parrish as treasurer. Warren Parrish, bless his heart, uh, had been Joseph's scribe. As, as the year went on, he, part of coming down the mountain, he becomes uh, more and more anti against Joseph. More and more anti. When he takes over the bank, what he starts doing, uh, and we now know, and this we, we've known just within the last few years, because we were able to actually track this down and see the book and see how he was doing it and stuff like that. Warren Parrish was taking notes that had been paid off, and he was reusing them. <laughs> he'd go out and purchase stuff, and then he'd bring it back, and he'd kind of doctor the ledgers a little bit. And he did that. He embezzled about $20,000 from the bank, and it and that was the last straw, and it knocked the feet under, underneath it, and it collapsed in, in July. Now, what do you think that would do to the people in Kirtland? It was what? The president. Oh, we, we invested in this thing uh, because we believed in the prophet. And, and Warren Parrish is running around saying Joseph had a revelation saying the bank would never fail. And it did. Okay? So, um, so here, so let, let, let me walk into dangerous waters at this point. <laughs> And I will do this carefully because of tomorrow. <laughs> Here's what happened in early Kirtland. Everybody was poor. Everybody's poor pouring, in, pouring into Kirtland. And when they were first going to Missouri, we're going to pour into uh, Missouri. And the Lord says, great, in order to go to Zion, we are going to create an economic system that will run this entire thing, and we will call it what? The United Order, the Law of Consecration. Now, if you're poor, how does the Law of Consecration sound to you? Wahoo! Okay? If you're in an economy where you don't think that you can succeed... What will sound good to you? Some system that will level everything out because that will be fair because I don't believe that I can compete. Or I'm very, I'm very protective of those that I don't think can compete. And so I want that to be fair for them. So the law of consecration sounded good. Yeah. Government handouts. Well, and, and that's what, now that's on the other side of this. Hold on. So there are those that are going to say, yes, that law of consecration sounds great. Everything is going to be equal. Um, and that sounds really, really good until what? You start to begin prosperous. Now, if you're prosperous, how does the law of consecration sound? 
fair. It's not fair. I'm not sure how much these guys are working for this stuff. I'm not sure. They may, but I don't know. Maybe they're poor because they deserved it. Maybe they're poor because they just are lazy. Maybe they, you know, and I'm not sure. I've worked hard for my money. I'm not sure I want to give a handout to somebody that may or may not take that money. And so what the, the law of consecration that sounded good when everybody was poor is now a tougher principle in when we're wealthier. Okay? So, in the face of the prosperity, here's what they're up against. Remember, most of these people are, are streaming out of New England. And it's about, this is the new America, it's prosperous, it is built on liberty, and nobody's going to tell us what to do. And in fact, this new America is going to be prosperous, so we're all going to kind of get rich. Okay? And even, and, and that's actually going to be uh, re-emphasized in about five years when they start pouring in from England, and they're going, yeah, that's a bad system. We're kings and stuff like that. We like the liberty thing. Okay, so on, on one side, you've got all of these New Englanders that are built on the idea we are about, we are sons of liberty, sons of 76, uh, and, and, the, and Bunker Hill was about as close to them as D-Day is to us. So it's still fresh in their memories. And Joseph comes along and he's suggesting that they should be a son of Enoch. Which is, we're going to have all things in common. Those that have are going to give to those that don't have. We need to level this thing out. It's the law of consecration. And this is the principle. By the way, this is the principle by which the Curtain of Safety Society will work. That those that have money will invest wholesale in, the, in that. The money will be there. The funds will be there. Somebody with $5 can go get some, get some land where they can raise themselves up because the, the bank will give them a loan. They don't have collateral. but They've got stock in the company. As long as the, the Curtin Safety Society rested on the principles of the law of consecration, the whole thing works. And it works beautifully. Except for... Humans can't figure it out. Yes. And we're now we're prosperous and we're not quite sure we want to do that. And now comes the pushback. Okay? Let me give you an idea of kind of how that looks, actually. Two years later, Oliver Cowdery, for a variety of reasons, not just this, is going to be excommunicated. Now, in going back and forth with Oliver about why it is that he would not follow the prophet, I want you to hear his reasoning. This is, so here's, here's his response. If your church organization and ecclesiastical leaders, there was their question to him. If your church organization, ecclesiastical leaders, offered guidance to help you organize your temporal life, would you submit to their guidance? Oliver Cowdery said he would not. He answered by paraphrasing and writing a central charge against him. 
Here's his response. I will not be influenced, governed, or controlled in my temporal interest by any ecclesiastical authority or pretended revelation, whatever, contrary to my own judgment. Now, this ought to give you guys a mixed feeling here, okay? He said, such being still my opinion, shall only remark that the three great principles of English liberty, as laid down in the books, uh, Blackstone primarily, are the right of personal security, the right of personal liberty, and the right of per private property. You on board with that one so far? Okay. He continued, My venerable ancestor was among the little band who landed on the rocks of Plymouth in 1620. I am wholly unwilling to exchange his American principles for anything less liberal, less benevolent, or less free. And then, and then he, he went on to say that he believed that Joseph had become a popist. That he was going to tell them how to run their personal affairs. Now, let me throw this out at you. Because here's, here's where I think the delicate question is. And by the way, I don't, I, I'm going to ask a question for which I don't... There, there, pro, there shouldn't be a perfect answer. And I think it's something that is individual to each one of us. Let me come back to that question. I will not be influenced, governed, or controlled in my temporal interest by any ecclesiastical authority or pretended revelation, whatever, contrary to my own judgment. So, is that, is that something that as members we might occasionally have to struggle with? Yeah. Can you help me understand here? Is is this quote, and you want us to ponder? Is about uh, I may not wife smart enough to use the right English word, but right. it's me that are you saying that it's kind of a political point of view versus religious belief, and this political point of view is it? Uh, I don't know. But is it temporal, not from, is it just out of our own will, a man-made, versus a God institute? I don't want you to You are, no, my dear, you are asking, you're asking, it goes to the heart of what we're talking about here. And, and that's why I say, I don't think that there is a, there's, there's a, there's a clear-cut answer as much as saying, what happens if, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm present, you can help me out with this. I've had, uh, on more than one occasion, I've had, I've had sweet sisters sit in my office that are, that are in a uh, physical, physically abusive marriage. And they're coming in to say, I am wanting to get out of this marriage. It, it's painful, it's abusive, I need to get out. And yet my bishop has told me that I need to stay and hang in there longer. And I want to support my bishop, but I'm also getting guidance that says that it would be okay for me to leave. What do I do? 
President, how would you, how, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> it takes the spotlight off of me, okay? <laughs> Back to ex-high counselor, to him. <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> so, so here's my, is there a clear-cut answer to that? I think part of the answer is one of your earliest slides where the Lord was telling them that he would solve or he would handle their problems, but he said, be humble. Yeah. And that's a hard part, you know, being humble, being faithful. And, uh, and you know, you'd have to know a lot more to be able to answer your specific question about the system. Well, let, let me throw another one out. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll jump in with both feet. I'm follied that way. <laughs> Do we, have, do we have members of the church that believe that the church should sanction same-sex marriage? And believe that by not sanctioning same-sex marriage, the church is being cruel to those that are gay? Sure, we do. Now, does that mean we run them out of the ward? Does that mean necessarily that, they, that they're waiting on the brethren to change? The question is, so anytime that they're going kind of contrary to what the brethren have said, they're struggling to say, my own conscience says we need to be more kind and not run them off. And I believe that this, this even the, the November two years ago saying, and not only that, your kids are going to be, can't be baptized. That, I've had a lot of that. And people are struggling. I think the brethren were wrong on this. Now, can I think the brethren are wrong on that particular thing and still follow them and everything else that they're doing? Well, I think that's the, that's the struggle here, isn't it? That's what we're trying, that was, and I think that's part of what people were weighing in Kirtland, trying to go, well, you know, I think Joseph Smith is a prophet and he gets revelations, but he can't run a store to save his life. You know, and he went where? To do what? And what was he doing in Salem? Really? You know, Joseph did that? Okay, does that, you know, so how do I picture a prophet, I guess is how this kind of comes to. Yeah. And I've been thinking through this discussion, you know, I think we expect more of our prophet. We don't expect him to be human. The, the instruction from the Lord was clear. Why didn't he just follow what the instruction was? Right. And, and then he would be in this problem. I, I guess I have some sympathy for all of you. I do too. I, I, I would be afraid to. But the place that we struggle to go with as a people is saying the prophets are fallible. There's a part of us that struggles in saying I sustain President Nelson and can I sustain President Nelson and believe that he might make mistakes. That is a part that just our own that just roils I think inside of us to say I believe that prophets are prophets but dang, you know, 15 of them in the 40s sat there and said, we don't give priesthood to blacks for these reasons. And, and it turned out they were wrong. That's hard on us. Yeah. I think too, though, I mean, that same prophet is the same prophet. And they all have been personal revelation, personal revelation, personal revelation. You have to have a relationship with how the Heavenly Father and the Spirit that will give you guidance and give it to your own life. And I think that in so many of those situations, um, personal revelation and humbling and yeah. knees and prayer will help you through those because there are times. I mean, I think everyone probably knows the situation when maybe a priesthood leader has done something or said something bad and probably that's not right or not accurate. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But it comes down to that same thing that they are telling us. We live in a fallen world. Everything will, you know, it, so you have to be able to, to come to terms and to receive your own personal revelation, your own um, spiritual witness to things. I've, I've always liked the, the quote from uh, Truman Madsen that he talked about being called as a mission president in, by President McKay and, and saying to President McKay, uh, I'm not worthy to, to, be a temple, to be a mission president in Boston. Um, and he said President McKay came around from around the, the desk, gave him a big bear hug, and he said, Brother Madsen, the Lord has to be merciful to let any of us work in his kingdom. <laughs> I love that idea, but it does mean that I think we're balancing having to say our, our paradigm and our understanding of prophets, can we love them and follow them and then not be surprised that occasionally when mistakes are made and know that I'm going to go ahead and follow them anyway or that I know I have to balance that. I think, I think it's a tough question and I think we're moving more and more in that direction trying to balance all of this. Yeah. One way I have to try to help clear that up is I always tell people I, I worship the Savior. Yes, worship, right. I love the prophet and I listen to the prophet, but I worship the Savior. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we took the, 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 the primary hymn, Follow the Prophets, and changed it just a little? Follow the Prophets to Christ. Wouldn't that make kind of more sense? Yeah. Yeah, because that song, you know, I think that's the song where it says, Follow the Prophet, he won't lead you astray. So I think, you know, on certain, certain things like that, I think that confuses some people. Yeah, and, I, and I'm waiting... Absolutely, and it'll be interesting to see in the hymns that are, because we've kind of come a ways, kind of we were heavy on obedience in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and we're watching this more in, uh, about grace, and we're heavy in church history as our theology, and we're moving more towards Christ and grace, and seeing the, the Christ that was revealed by Joseph Smith. So I'm waiting to see kind of if the hymns kind of reflect that movement, because I think it's a major movement happening in the church towards Christ. Yeah. Well, there already has been questions even about President Nelson's uh, revelation about uh, home teaching. Yeah. Some people can't figure out why they're prejudging it before it's getting. Yeah. Or, or saying, you know, the, the, the name of the church. We're, we're doubling down on the name of the church. Well, I don't know. It was President Hinckley that engaged the New York firm to say, no, let's, let's brand Mormon. And we're going to call everything Mormon. And now we're going to kind of go against that. Okay. And we're saying, well, you know what? President Hinckley was doing what he thought was best. And President Nelson is doing what he thinks he's best. And President Nelson at this moment is more right than President Hinckley because he's the one, and I don't know how much of that is opinion and how much of that is inspiration. And guess what? At the moment, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to follow the current prophet. Yeah. I, my own personal perspective, that there's the kinds of things that you're talking about. There's an aspect of time and season. It's yes. Not, it's not a contradiction in my own mind that what was it was a good, it was a correct time under President Hinckley for what he was doing. Yeah. It could very easily be that. So, so I, I, I guess let, let me just kind of button it up this way. Um, I think it's I think it's easy for us to kind of look at the at the um, apostasy of 1837 in in Kirtland, uh, which by the way took a third 
the, by and large, the members of the church were fine. But when, this, when the bank fell and people started to fall away and the struggles came and, and Joseph and Sidney in the first week of January 1838 are having to sneak out under the cover of darkness and they're being followed by 100 miles from people that are feeling like they're fallen prophets and Warren Parish is, is brandishing a gun and a knife in the Kirtland Temple and it's just getting bad. Okay, And, and we'll kind of finish with this next week. But it's getting bad. Um, in the middle of of all of that, uh, I think we, the, by and large, the members were fine. It was the leadership that struggled. We lost a third of the, the Quorum of the Twelve. We lost a third of the, the um, uh, First Presidency, and we lost a third of the original witnesses of the Book of Mormon in that apostasy of 1837-1838. The church was hanging by a thread. And what was waiting for them? Well, this brand new little town of Far West in Missouri, and we're now all going to pull out of Kirtland, and we're all going to go to Missouri, because in Far West, in Caldwell, we will build a temple, and things will be better in Missouri, and we, and we will finally have a place of safety away from all the crazies. <laughs> Except that we got out of the frying pan and into the fire. Yeah? Do you think some of this seems to delve into the, our own minds as far as weighing our faith and temporal. I mean, it was Christ that supplied manna, not Moses. Yeah. It was the Lord that supplied the loaves and fishes, not Peter. Right. And then when we vote for things, when our kids come to us, I'd like some money for the prom. Okay. But yeah. I'd like a helicopter ride and I've got to buy a mom, and, you know, and I need $200. <laughs> and you say, whoa, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody else in our neighborhood is getting a, a helicopter for prom. What, you know, how come you're... <laughs> um, let, let me just finish with this. I believe, uh, I believe that tomorrow in the election, I think that there are going to be great Mormons on both sides of the issues and, and great Mormons on both sides who are going to believe that they are doing what the Savior would want them to do based on the way that they look at things. And I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, it's a struggle that we have in our own minds and hearts as to what we think that would be and the best road to get there. Uh, the, the, how we get there without demonizing each other, I think, is, is a tough, tough deal. Um, but I think there's going to be some things coming, and I think the church is preparing us to be able to handle more divisive issues that may be coming. Um, and I think that's really what they're getting us ready for. So we don't repeat Kirtland. Uh, anyway, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
and follow our dear sweet prophet, President Nelson. We're so grateful to be alive in this day and age when we have so many wonderful technologies to help us with our family history and with life itself. And we pray that we might be mindful of the challenges that Satan has that are the same thing. That we might have the strength to endure and we truly are happy to be alive and to be part of this body. And we're grateful for our testimonies and pray that thy spirit will be with us continually that we might always live and keep the commandments. Be with us as we go home this week and give us the strength and courage to meet each challenge the way that thou would have us do. We give thanks humbly and lots of love in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, for next week, uh, study everything you can find on Far West. And look for names like DeWitt and Gallatin uh, in that direction. Okay, I'm going to learn to disagree without burning down the <laughs> <laughs>